This message is brought to you by danmolerarchive.com, the number one place to search over 2,500 Dan Moeller messages and growing. Now, please enjoy this message. Anybody have a question? Sir. Um, you, you earlier described that um, your wife for eight years yeah. had done that different identity. What was the change in her life? Okay. Absolutely. Good question. He said, you shared a testimony of your wife for eight years. She struggled with her identity. He said, what was the change in her that brought her out of that eight-year struggle? It's actually a beautiful story, okay? Because I shared how I could have been a lot of other things maybe in those eight years. Hurting husband, ready to break down, calling Wiley, please pray for me. If she doesn't change soon, I can't take it much more. That language sound familiar to anybody? She was in ICU on life support with severe brain damage. Me and my 14-year-old went in and prayed for her. My 14-year-old was going through his own stuff right in the moment. So I had my daughter, my son, and my wife all springing off of each other. They would tell you today if they were in the room that they would team up on me to try to make me look like the problem. My kids sat down and didn't have a parent-child conference. They had a child-parent conference. They sat me down to tell me, Dad, you're too extreme. You're too much Jesus. You've got to face reality. We don't see anybody out there thinking like you or living like you because they knew how I lived. So they weren't saying, Dad, you're a hypocrite. You preach in the church and then you're not that way at home. That was never the issue, I promise. They could only say, you're too extreme. I don't see anybody out there, nobody even in our church that's living what you're living, Dad. You're, you're, you're out of balance. You're, you're too much Jesus. And I said, guys, I don't even know what you're trying to say. Well, you're just too much Jesus, Dad. It's not like everything's Jesus. And I didn't preach at my kids. I just lived my convictions. So they couldn't live around me without being convicted. It got so bad that if I was just reading my Bible, they would interpret it as, look at him over there reading his Bible to make a statement asking if we read our Bibles. That's when you know you're out of fellowship with God. <laughs> When somebody's reading their Bible and you think it has to do with you. <laughs> That's when you are very self-conscious and insecure and really need help from the Lord. <laughs> My boy was messing around behind the scenes. I had no idea. The Lord never showed me. He showed me a couple things in his teen years that were pretty uh, timely and amazing that confronted him. But my kids had that conference with me that day. And it was funny, I said, well guys, it's unfair that you're mentioning some of these leaders' names and comparing me to them. I said, see, I'm not following them. I'm following Jesus. And you said, there's nobody out there that looks like what you see me. I said, you gotta open your Bibles up and take a good look at Jesus and tell me if there's anything you see in your dad that looks like that or anything in him that looks like your dad because I'm following him, guys. And then the Holy Spirit's pretty sharp, right? I said, here's what you're doing today. You're desiring to go into the flesh and live weakness. Your consciences are violated, but you have things you're set on and you feel like I'm a hurdle. You have to jump. I'm your last hurdle. So you're having this little talk to try to get past the hurdle so you can move forward. And I just looked at him and said, guys, and we just had a little talk and I hugged them and they walked out of the room like this. Shortly after all that, my wife goes into a violent seizure she ends up on life support in ICU with severe brain damage. They told me on the phone that they were very concerned she would die. And I told my boy, I want you to come in with me. And I wasn't being arrogant. Please don't, please don't just judge what I say. That'll locate you. Just hear what I say first. Wait till I'm done before you think about it. 
See, I've seen a lot as a pastor, right? I've seen people go into church and, and get an extra push toward God when they're in crisis, and then they quote scripture like it's magic, and then they don't get what they're quoting, and then they get in a quandary and back off again. I've seen people get in marriage troubles and then they run to church, and when their marriage is okay, oh well, and they, Israel did it over and over in the Bible, over and over and over. The doctor called the house and he said, he said, Mr. Muller, I said, yeah, and he said about the condition of my wife, and I said, okay. He said, I, want, I need your consent to run a spinal tap, and da, 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 and we're very concerned she could die, this and fluids, I don't know nothing. I am zero medical, I'm not against medical, I'm just zero, no nothing. So I said, doctor, please listen. You're talking another language to me. I said, now is not the time for me to get a medical education. That's what you went to school for, sir. And I respect that and your heart is to help her. You do what you believe is best and I ain't one of these liability guys watching you like a hawk. You do what you believe you're trained to do and what you believe will help her. And I'll come in and do what I've been equipped to do. Now see, a lot of people call that arrogance. But you're too late to talk to me about that. Because I was in those shoes. A lot of people would say, well, that's arrogant. Da, da, da. Nope, I told him I was prepared. I'm ready to come in. And he said, well, what is that that you're coming in to do? What are you equipped to do? I said, sir, I'm going to lay hands on her. And the kingdom of God is going to come upon her. And he said, well, sir, I appreciate that, but I have to face the reality of the situation because I'm the doctor. I said, no, you couldn't hear what I said, but it's not your fault. My boy's listening to the whole conversation. I said, you have seen countless confessing Christians come in here under situations like this, an absolute mess, quoting scripture. They haven't even been with him. They're calling on him when they need him. And they're looking for an answer, like a rubbing a lamp. I said, that's not who you're talking to on the phone. I've been with him. I'm not moved by this phone call. I'll see you in a minute. And I told my boy, I said, what's going on, Dad? And I told him, and he just put his head down on the dishwasher. And I poked him and said, hey, don't even go there, bud. Get yourself freshened up. You can come with me. It'll be a good experience. We'll see the glory of God. He still talks about it because he said, when I got that phone call, he, he, by my questions and response, he knew it was something serious, but he said, you would never know by looking. He said, Dad, you didn't even flinch. It's impossible to not flinch. I've been in serious car wrecks and my pulse was normal and my countenance was, I had paramedics yelling at me and said, now's not the time for jokes, sir. We need to find the driver. I, my disposition was so normal and relaxed that there's no way I could have been driving. It's impossible, but it's not. I've been with him and it's not my fault. We went into the hospital, he wouldn't come. He said, he's not coming. I said, I'd love you to come. It'd be a great experience for you, but if you decide you can, I'll never judge you for it. I won't hold it in front of you. I said, I understand. But nonetheless, I'm heading in there. So I went up and got some things together. I come down, I said, hey buddy. He's still standing in the same position. Why? 
Everything's running through his mind now because he's violating his conscience. He's living some things in secret. He's crossing lines. He's not in a good place. And mama's in a coma. And he's messing around. And he ain't ready. He ain't ready. His conscience is vibrating. And I said, I see you, bud. And I hugged him and he said, Dad, I'm coming with you. I said, that's a good thing. I'm happy about that. So we went in. We walked in. I talked to him about not, not looking at her state. So we walked in there. It's funny how you're spontaneous. She's laying there. It's first I've seen her on life support and in a coma. And she doesn't even look like her. Her face looks swelled. Her eyes are puffy. She said, tube is working for her. And she's just there, man. So I crawled up on her bed and big smile. He lit my face and I popped her eyes as wide as I could. I said, hey, girl. I said, your boys are here to see you. I said, we come to get you out of this nap. You've been in this nap a little bit too long. And my boy's just staring at her. And I said, we had to stop at the grocery store, girl. And it was not a pretty sight. I said, we didn't know where we was, what we were getting. I said, you're getting up. And this boy thinks I'm ironing a shirt tomorrow for school. So I know you're coming up. <laughs> now I can iron, I travel. I didn't even know what I was doing. Later, I realized it was the mercy of God for my boy. Because all he could see was a coma. This stuff's important. Just because you know what the Bible says and quote it don't mean you see what the Bible says. If you're only quoting it because you see what you're quoting it to, you're in trouble. When you get told you're going to die and you pray from the perspective of a dying man, that's probably why we die. When you become your prognosis instead of a finished work of his son, there's a difference between the two. Because deep in my heart, even if I lose my wife, I know that nothing changes about the gospel. But I ain't going in there to lose her. I'm going to hold on as tight as I know. But deep in my heart, I know I can't lose. We already won. I remember being in home group one time. I actually tore my shirt. I was so passionate. See, I'm calm for you. I was crawling on my knees in the floor and they all come piling in my home. I had 70 people in my small little home sitting up the steps in all the rooms, piled up everywhere and I can't even see through the people and I'm on the floor on my knees and I was, was crawling. I said, you see that woman? I pointed to my wife and I'm passionate like you can't imagine, like way more than you've seen me all weekend. I said, you see her? I love her. She's the wife of my youth. I finally love her. I know what it means to love her. You see them two precious kids of mine? And they're sitting there. My kids are looking like, whoa, daddy's pretty intense right now and everybody's like whoa because they all come to my home group Jesus yay blessing woo fire God and they're all looking to come and have fun in the Lord and I'm on my knees and a madman thing comes on me and I'm like see her see her you see this house I said you take her from me you strip them children from my life you burn down this house and you take the shirt and my shirt went the buttons flew oh it was really perfect timing you take this shirt off of my back. And I looked at him and I said, but you cannot touch me now. Because now I understand why I'm here. None of that will change this truth. In fact, I'll run it all the more. Because I'm living for a goal. And people were looking at me in my home group. They're like, Hmm, brother, I don't think this is why we came to your house for this message. I think we came for blessing. 
what I'm preaching is blessing because it's total freedom. All of a sudden, you're not even afraid of adversity because it's not the issue. You're not living for calm seas. Are you kidding me? If you're living for calm seas, you're always driven by the seas. You're as good as they are calm. <laughs> How does all that change truth of why he's in me? Let me stretch you right now. I know I'm not doing a lot of questions for some reason, but watch this. If my wife runs off with another man and I go home and find out she ain't even there, let me ask you a strong question. How am I any less anointed and how does the truth about Christ in me change? Why would I let one woman's action decide my life and stereotype me and rob me of the truth? Yeah, see, we can't even handle that analogy. I feel that in the room. But I wish we could. How does one woman's mistake and sin change the truth about the Lord in me? Why do we let it all the time? You all with me? Come on. That one, I feel that in the room. It feels weird when you use that illustration. We are not ready for that. Because if that happened to us, devastation, broken trust, never trust again. But then because of insecurity and need, we're with somebody else, but we carry all that unhealed stuff along with us. Now we're putting on a new person, stuff that another person put on us. And now they have to bear what we haven't dealt with. <laughs> Oops. Don't get uncomfortable. Just go, amen. <laughs> Long story short, I prayed for my wife. My boy's there. Popped her eyes open. You ever look into the eyes of a dead person? You ever been around anybody dead? You can't find their eyes. I'm looking at you. You can't do that, can you? When they're in a coma, you can't do it. It's an astounding thing. The, 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 the soul living, the soul's alive. When they're in a coma, you can't find their eyes. I, it's the strangest thing. It's like you can't, they're not there, but you can see the pupil, but they won't look at you. I'm looking right at you. You're looking at me, right? You can't do that to a dead person. You can't do that to somebody that was in her state. I popped her eyes open and I looked down and I just had to look past that quickly because she, I couldn't find her eyes. So I just talked to her. I didn't realize I was doing it for my boy because all he could see was a coma. So I was being fun loving and it wasn't a strategy and I didn't plan it and think, I'm gonna try to humor our way through this. So I looked at him, I said, you ready to pray? He said, yes, dad. Probably prayed 20 seconds, took a little longer than I usually do for some reason. I'm just faith guy. I don't just pray, 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 pray. I was, Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for what you paid for in redemption and restoration. Kim, you get up, you be whole, you be unfazed by the situation. You live the will of God. You be the woman you were created for. You get up out of this thing in Jesus' name. 20 seconds. Wow, brother. Here's where we slip up and fall all the time. You say amen, you just prayed your faith prayer, the best you understand, and there she is laying, sucking on that tube. And that's where we fall apart. Because we turn faith into a point in time, a hit, miss, win or lose. Did he or didn't he? As he laying there sucking on that tube, and I looked at my boy and smiled real big. I said, you ready to head out? We did what we came for. Mama will be well. 
Okay, Dad. We headed on out the room. She's still sucking on that ventilator. We get out of the room. You're nice to you. You're supposed to be. There's other people. My boy starts throwing a fit. I said, shh, boy, we're nice to you. Shh. Can't do that right now. I'm thinking, as a dad, he's overwhelmed because we're leaving mom, and he just saw her in a coma. So I figure he's falling apart. He held on as long as he could. He's losing it. Come on, buddy. We hit the mechanical door. We get out in the hall. Once we get out in the main hospital, he is done. I said, buddy, listen. You can't be seeing mom. He said, it ain't mom. My boy's not like this. He pushes me, and he's like violently. And I'm like, well, buddy, you got me confused if it ain't mom. And I'm thinking, man, what some deep family things unfolding right here in the hospital. Hey, mom, it's you and me, dad. It's you and me. I thought, oh, my goodness, okay. We're going to settle some unresolved conflict right here. I said, buddy, let's head out and let's talk about it. I said, I said, uh, I said, I don't know what. He said, it's you and me, dad. We're so different. I said, we're not different. I said, we both have a covenant with God. We're both loved by God. The blood's speaking the same thing over me that is speaking over you. And I tried to just share why I'm confident and share scripture with him because that's the only way to get him out of that. It's truth. It's scripture. You say, well, you're preaching at your boy. No, I'm really helping my boy. You ask him today. He loves me so much because he knows his daddy is a man of God because he has seen me in all these situations. He was with me when the car got so crushed that I had to break open my door and pull them through a space. And he saw daddy standing there with the biggest gleam. My daughter said, mom, I couldn't even be afraid. I just kept looking into daddy's face and knew everything was okay. <laughs> Whoa! See what's wrong with me? <laughs> Gotta tell you a few of these things so you realize. We left the hospital. He's screaming and out there, you and me, and I said, there's no difference. He said, yes, it is, Dad. Yes, it is. And I mean, he's letting me have it like, I don't have a clue what's going on. I said, buddy, there is no difference between us. And I told him, he said, yes, it is, Dad. Watch. He said, 14, you don't see what I see. You don't see what I see. see what you see and he fell on me and began to cry <laughs> and I leaned down I said I see Jesus I lifted up I see the king of glory I don't see and then I began to talk to him about living his life where his conscience stays clean and being ready in the moment. And I got to use it as a real springboard. So I told him, you're not going to be depressed. You're going to school tomorrow. You can iron your own shirt. And you go, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> we get home. An hour and a half later, my wife opens her eyes. An hour and a half later, opens her eyes with zero brain damage, zero residuals from an hour-long seizure. I go into the hospital. When I see my wife, they have her completely unhooked, all unhooked, because I went in at 6.45 in the morning 
Because of the Lord, I was taking a shower. He said, today is a day of increase, great increase. Go see your wife now. I said, now? He said, now. I did a hyper wash, gone. I was in there. I snuck in there at 6.45 in the morning. She's sitting up in bed. The doctor that I talked to on the phone, remember the doctor that I said, do what you were trained for, I'll do what I was. He's doing, he's the head of ICU, so he's doing his little white coat circle at the start of the day. He's got all the guys, they all got clipboards. They're doing a debrief, patients, runs, da, da, da. He sees me coming through. I, I looked over and I went like that because he looked at me. He, he went like this to his circle, laid his clipboard down and ran through the circle, ran to me, ran to me. I said, hey, good morning, doctor. He said, Dan, your wife is doing amazing. I said, I know, doctor, that's why I'm here. I was just in the shower, and the Lord said to get in here and see her. It's a day of grief. Dan, after you left, she woke up. She's been coherent. She's been talking. She's communicating with the night shift nurse. I got all the notes written. We have done a full test. She has no brain damage and no seizure activity. It, it's, it's beyond medical. And, 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 and I said, doctor, I want to thank you so much for all you've done. Done? We didn't do this. We, we didn't. I said, doctor, I understand you didn't do that. But man, don't miss it. You've done a lot. And I appreciate you. No, you don't understand. We didn't do that. I said, doctor. And he just started to cry. Because this was such a miracle to his heart. He just started to cry. And he grabbed me and initiated a hug. And a pastor tell me a long time ago, when somebody grabs you like and hugs you, don't let go till they do. So I just held him. And he just held me. And when he finally let me go, it was a long hug. He was weeping. And I said, thanks again, doctor. I turned the corner. I'm finally answering your question. I give such long answers. <laughs> come around the corner. My wife's sitting up. Sweet little thing. She just come out of a coma. Her hair is flat. She's in her little hospital gown tied in the back. And she's sitting there. And I looked at her. And she went, hi. Hardly could talk, had a whisper because of the trach. Hi. I said, hey, you. I said, oh, my goodness, you've never been more beautiful. She went, oh, okay. <laughs> I ran in there and I squeezed her. She yawned. I just started crying. It was so cute. She yawned. She's alive. Jesus is Lord. We can live a certain way, right? You could say, well, Dan, you're unfair because wonder if people have the experience and did all that and they didn't get that answer. See, you're missing the points that I'm making. I'm talking about living in Jesus, living in fellowship. Whether I got the result or not, it doesn't change how I live. Are you with me? And then I learned there's a connection because how I live actually ends up determining a lot. I do know this. You have no authority over what you fear. So she said, what happened to me? Why am I here? I said, honey, you had a violent seizure. That's what they were telling me. I said, yeah, it was pretty serious. It lasted an hour, blah, 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 blah. They actually thought you were going to go, girl. They thought you were going to die. But here you are. And she went, watch, because she's been telling me all this time, it'd be better if I was just going. I can't get it straight. I'm such a goofball. 
I'm such a dead weight in your life. I'm like, stop, you're none of those things. Watch. She looked at me and went, <gasps> she just started crying. I said, what? She said, you held on to me. You held on to me and didn't let me go. I said, you're not going anywhere. I love you. You're awesome. <gasps> and she realized that all this time I was seeing something about her she wasn't. And that she wasn't worthy of going. She was worthy of love. And she realized in her heart, I don't totally see what it is yet, but there's a truth about me that he knows. And that changes everything. And from that day, I watched her walk out of that lie by the grace of God. Now, her biggest challenge as a mama was both her children, our children, both her children were in a bad situation right then. And her biggest challenge, actually my son went on to get in a real bad when my daughter was already kind of in one. So right then, my wife started walking out of it. Her biggest challenge, and I just loved her through it and walked her through it, was feeling condemned every time they made terrible choice, feeling like she helped to feed that and was partially responsible. So I said, listen, you can only be sorry from your heart. Condemnation is a zero. When do you fall in the mercy of God? So if you believe you helped fuel it, why don't you help diffuse it? And why don't you live with a clear conscience and live in uprightness and go after God like never before? She said, that sounds better. <laughs> so God pulled her out of the condemnation and pulled her out of the lie. And today, my wife is doing amazing. My wife is doing amazing. She's, she's a gem. She's so sensitive. She will pray for you and cry for you and won't even know you. She'll just hear what you're going through and she'll lay on her couch and weep and cry before the Lord and pray. My wife's a gem. So that's how she came out of it. When her husband held on to her in prayer and didn't say, well, this is my out. She's been pretty hard to deal with anyway. I guess this is tough, but in some sense, it's a gift because things haven't been happening for eight years. I don't know if you understand. Do you understand what I mean when I say I was living married but like single for eight years because of where she was? Do you get that phrase? And totally okay, completely fulfilled, not needy, not itchy. Yeah. <laughs> fulfilled. Yay. If you enjoyed this message, please visit danmolerarchive.com to find over 2,500 more messages from Dan, all organized by category, playlist, and search. Enjoy. Enjoy.